This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Episode 228, Resurrection. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Plumber. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello, and welcome to... Yet again, another episode of Strangers and Aliens. And it's time for us to meet the strangers. Stranger number one. He likes long walks on the beach. <laughs> he likes fun conversations. And strawberry shortcake. The dessert, not the doll. Although he wouldn't turn that away either. Steve MacDonald. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Stranger number two. He likes everything the number one likes. But he likes it with a cherry on top. Say hello to Evan. <laughs> Evan David. Hello, long, everybody. Long walks on the beach with a cherry on top. And then there's me. Right. I got nothing. <laughs> so I, I spent. And money. actually. Yeah. I do like when cherries. When anybody ever hands me something with a cherry on top, I, I throw the cherry away. That is so wasteful. Well, <laughs> give it to someone else at the table, Evan. Give it to I someone mean, if my else. Wife's at in the, the table. car, I'll give it to her. But yeah, if I'm by myself. It's going out the window. Uh, every day I learn something new about you. Usually it's okay, but today, <laughs> today uh, I'm troubled. So, hey, if we're ever getting milkshakes <laughs> together, you can have my cherry. Oh, sweet! That means two for me. <laughs> Yay! Oh, winner. <laughs> Hey, so we are recording this and it's not quite Easter. Uh, In fact, it's not even quite uh, Palm Sunday. And this is probably going to be released on or about Palm Sunday, but during that lead up to Easter. And we wanted to have a conversation about something that was Eastery and something that was still with that intersection of sci-fi and fantasy and and faith and everything. And so as we were floating around some conversational ideas one that came up was the idea that in uh, science fiction and fantasy stories, there's a lot of death and there's a lot of rising from the dead and there's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of, um, you know, the sacrificial death to help someone else. And I I thought, you know, what's Easter about? Easter is about uh, the sacrifice of Christ, right? And, Mm -hmm. Uh, the resurrection then is what we're celebrating. And, um, but then 
why is it that we want in our stories so much to see this sacrifice and why is it cathartic and nice for us to see our characters come back? And I thought, let's, 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 let's do that. Let's run with that. And Evan and, and Steve are ready to run with it. And let's, that's, that's what we're going to talk about. Now, I, I just want to make the, the one caveat here. And that is we are not by any means, um, doing a one-to-one comparison and saying, no. you know what? These stories are just as important as the Jesus one. I think the important thing to recognize here is that these stories reflect the story of Jesus. In fact, I think I already know the note I want to end on. I'm going to hold it tight and hold it close, but it is quite possible that one of my friends, one of my strangers here who likes long walks on the beach uh, is going to bring it up. But if they do, (laughs) I'll let you know. But uh, just this idea that these these are stories that reflect that. And why are these stories that we like and enjoy and then again, maybe don't enjoy? So, yeah. All right. So, I I don't know. Where should we start? I mean, do we just start with some of the characters that we think of when we think of characters who die and come back to life? Just start there with a couple, I don't know, of our our top top resurrections in sci-fi. (laughs) <laughs> is that, eh, well, yeah, I know mine. Okay, well, let's hear from you, Evan. Some some sci-fi resurrections. Okay. Mine would be the death and resurrection of Superman. That's a huge one. Yes, yeah. that was a, it. Was a huge one for for pop culture. It's a huge one in the like in the fictional world of the comic, but it was also just a huge one in as far as the real world. A, a beloved character dying. And uh, so it made some it made some impact in the the actual world, but far bigger, you know, in the fictional one. Steve, do you remember when that happened? The the media coverage that that this event got. I remember it happening. I don't remember so much the media coverage. Oh, I do. So, I mean, they talked about you know, it on my local news show. That was the first, okay. yeah, the first time that I can remember, and I think the first time really that it did happen, where uh, an event like this was spoiled by mainstream news. <laughs> maybe the marriage of, maybe the marriage of, of Spider-Man might've been one of those events because when that issue came out, they actually had like a, a wedding ceremony mm. at, at a New York Mets game or something like, I don't know exactly the details, but it was That's like, interesting. Yeah, it was, it was at a, a baseball game in, in the sta- the stadium uh, before, or like during the seventh inning stretch or something like that, where they had this um, mock uh, marriage of Peter Parker and Mary Jane. And yeah, <laughs> so there's that, that got some big, big coverage, but death of Superman, man, it was weird. And then it became that collector's <laughs> item. So yeah, the armband, the, the armband that was in the poly bag. And <laughs> yeah. So this one, I know we've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast and Steve, you always talk about how you didn't necessarily like it because you knew that he's going to come back to life, you know, after after they killed him. And so for me, though, this was, uh, I you know, I read first read the story after the whole arc had been completed and he's already come back to life right. and whatnot. So to me, this was kind of like, um, and once again, we're not comparing the story's impact to the Bible, but it's kind of like the Bible where, you know, you're not upset 
because Jesus dies necessarily because you know that he's gonna he's coming back because you know the story, and so that was kind of like this for me. Like this is just an epic, impactful part of the Superman story, and it is epic and impactful because he sacrifices his life. He goes down hard protecting the you know first of all Lois, second of all Metropolis, and third of all the entire planet. Um. And he willingly goes down, and it's a bloody sacrifice. Um, right, but I, I talk more about like the meta, right? Right, I know. Universe, you know, it's it's like you. The first time you read the Bible story or hear it, it's you know the first time you really understand it, it's it's traumatic because you, here's right. this guy and you know all this stuff. And then he dies, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what? You know that? Wait a minute, the, he, wasn't he God? I mean, how did that? Wait a minute, hold on." And it's 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 visceral. You feel it, you know. So that coming into it now that we've read the story over and over again, it's like, yeah, but he comes back. Don't worry about it. It's sort of like, oh, okay, you know, you you sort of gloss over that part of it. But with the Superman thing, it was. You know, on the heels of a lot of other stuff that we'll probably talk about, so I don't want to just you know blurt them out. But so many other things that had already happened, where heroes had died and come back, where you were just like, "Yeah, but he's going to come back." So it it, it right. completely for and me, just, you know, a, a jaded what twenty five year old or whatever. Um, I knew it was it, it was just one of those publicity stunts, you know, trying to sell comic books type of a thing. So I was like, yeah, just not, I mean, it was, it just, it wasn't a thing for me. And right. it, it wasn't for me either. I was really into comics when that, when it happened. And I was really not into this situation where I, I didn't care. I didn't care that Superman died. I knew he was going to come back. I was more intrigued when, before they actually brought him back, they had these four uh, kind of, other hymns, you know, and so they had uh, uh, Steel, who kind of came and said, well, I'm going to be inspired by Superman and do what Superman does. And then you have Superboy, who was cloned from Superman. And then you have the Eradicator, uh, who I'm not even sure. I can't remember the story that goes along with him. But uh, so I ended up reading He's the novel. It. I read the novelization um, because I was more interested in just the whole thing and seeing how, how that all plays out with how does he come back uh, it, rather than the the death just didn't capture me. But I, I do want to mention something, though, and this is something that I have to deal with uh, every year. Uh, I've been doing children's ministry for almost 15 years now. Uh, and I've so I've taught this Easter story and tried to find different ways to teach the Easter story every year when we come around to it every year. And I've written this Easter story a number of times as well in various Bible comics that I've worked on. Because any Bible comic that I'm going to work on that has anything to do with Jesus is probably going to involve uh, the the death and resurrection. You know, so I yeah. I'm going to do if I I did a whole series of things about the disciples, uh, twelve stories in one volume, a book called the Twelve, and so every single one of them, it's like okay, so the crucifixion is kind of the pivotal moment in this guy's life so how do i do this 12 different people and it was not <laughs> not the easiest thing to do um 
And I would say, you know, Steve, you say the first time you encounter the story of of Christ's uh, death and resurrection, at first you're like, what? He died? I don't really think that happens too much. It might happen to a couple people here and there, but anyone who grows up in the church, from the point when they are like three and four years old, they're hearing the story at a point in time where they don't really understand death. And then by the time they are understanding death, the story has been taught to them three and four times. And so they know the resurrection before they really know what death truly means and the impact of what it is. And then the other thing is we kind of, and this is, again, this, I might be misinterpreting some things here uh, because I'm speaking for people that I haven't necessarily talked to. This is my interpretation, but uh, because of the cultural penetration of Easter as an event, a cultural event, especially here, uh, you know, in, in like North America and, and in Europe, people who are not believers recognize the Easter story and know the the at least the the vague idea something about this guy who they say died and came back to life. And I really don't think there's too many people who come across the actual Easter story as a surprise and and as a uh, at least not in this country. Yeah, right, right. But I'm right. talking about more more when you realize the weight of it but see that's that's the trick then is finding okay how do we and this is what we go over every year how do we create a situation where we can express and help guide someone into understanding the weight of it and because it's so common and it's one of the things one of the dangers of liturgy honestly is it losing its meaning and becoming habit and, you know, the Protestant church doesn't have a lot of liturgy. Um, I would say that some elements of Christmas, some elements of, say, Palm Sunday, some elements of Easter Sunday uh, have become a little bit liturgical, but aren't truly liturgy. But you lose in that repetition, you lose the meaning of the symbolism because of the repetition. And, and so that's that's the trick every year. You know, I'm now that I'm in my new position, I, I end up finding myself where I'm in meetings about the what we call big church <laughs> in, the, in children's ministry. That's what we call where the adults go. Big church. Right. Uh, and I find myself in meetings where we're having, you know, trying to figure out how do we make this work and how do we show and present this stuff in a new way, but in a way that's going to still honor the real meaning and, and that. And then I'm also figuring it out on the children's side. And, you know, the it's just... <sighs> it's one of those things where it, it becomes rote and it can be sadly, it can be a situation where the power has just worn off because we let it. And yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, Evan, (laughs) you're saying you don't want to bring this resurrection of Superman and, you know, it's too much to say it's like the Bible, but at the same time, the Superman character at that moment when they did that situation with him became even more the Christ figure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, where I he mean, kind of already was a quote unquote Christ figure as far as, uh, sent from sent far <laughs> to save the world, to save the world by his father, <laughs> you know? Um, yes. You know, and then there's the Moses element too, where you could, you could take the rocket ship is as like a sci-fi basket in the Nile or whatever. <laughs> Um, you know, to, to lead the people and, and that kind of thing. But once they did this death and resurrection thing, they cemented 
what everyone already Absolutely. kind of knew is that, hey, this is a thinly veiled metaphor for a, a Christ and- figure. And he absolutely, I mean, he absolutely can be and is used as such. Um, you guys are talking about how this didn't really affect you. This this was probably the first graphic novel I ever read. Um, and it's the first, you know, Superman graphic novel I ever read. And it totally impacted me, man. Because um, I, I didn't have any of that baggage or context or anything. This is just, it's a, it, it's it, for to me it, it feels a lot like what Jesus did. He, you know, he knows what's what's asked of him, what he's called to, and he does it. And he's a hero, and he's unstoppable in what he's doing and sacrificing his life. And you know, this is this whole story arc is one of the few comic books, one of the handful that has actually made me cry. And it's uh, especially when uh, it's the funeral. And all the side characters are reacting to Superman's death. And there's one part where uh, Bibbo Babowski, do you guys know that character? He's the like rough and tumble barkeeper guy. He's he's one of Superman's side characters. But anyway, he he kneels down and he prays to God. And he asks him, you know, like, why wasn't it me that you took instead of instead of him? Because he didn't deserve to die like that. And so that that just got me all choked up and there's a lot if you go read it there's a lot of similarities between uh you know, like like Ben was saying it's it's uh he's a could be considered a Christ figure in fiction that some a figure that points to Christ by the story that he t- takes place in but for me the Christ figure that he becomes is more the Christ figure that we need to become and you know I don't I don't see him as a symbol of Jesus I see him reflecting what Jesus did in a way that we should be reflecting what Jesus did in the way that he, you know, he is doing what's right and it means a sacrifice and it means that he is going to leave these people behind because he's doing it for the people that he's leaving behind. Of course he gets to resurrect, you know, and that's the thing that's kind of unfair about certain characters in comics is they're able to die and come (laughs) back. And I always wanted to do a story where someone confronts the X-Men and it's just like, you know, you don't get it us when we die we stay dead you know but you guys keep coming back and that would be like the 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 actual like motivation for a a, a villain is just that he is so mad that those heroes die and keep coming back and but for the regular people they die, they stay dead, and they die, honestly. <laughs> they die so that the story arc for the superheroes can can have more more depth. They're not they're not even dying for their own story, they're dying for someone else's story. Yeah. I wish I had dug up this this issue and did a little bit more research, but about ten years ago, I think, they did Marvel Comics did a character and it was like a six issue series. And it was a character that was going to die and stay dead. And that was the gist of it. I'm, I, I really wish. <laughs> I remember I you it. talking about it and really liking it. What yeah, was it? And I, I just. You love that book it. and recommended it to me. I know. And, and now I've completely forgotten what it was. But I think it was had probably had death in the, in the title or something or, or time or something. But it it showed this character and he's a hero and he's doing heroic things at the end of his life and he knows he's going to die and he's just at the end and he's just like 
living out that last bit. But, you know, what do you do? Do you just sit back and just watch TV or, you know, the movies you never saw or trying to do your bucket list? Or do you go out and try to change the world? Here's what it is. One month to live. One month to live. One month to live. It was about a superhero who had a terminal disease, terminal cancer. And yeah, the, the, the tagline was, what would you do with one month to change the world? Yeah. Hmm. What was the name of What was the name of the hero? Dennis. <laughs> I, I don't see I don't see a hero name for him. I Dennis. <laughs> Dennis Sykes. I don't. Okay. I, I don't know. Uh, I want to look it up because it was one of those things where I was like, if they do this, then it's going to be like a really cool concept because it just doesn't happen you know that it's it someone gets popular or whatever and they bring them back and they bring them back and they bring them back and you're like could could someone i mean bucky was dead for what 80 years and they brought him back well there used to be a while when when you just knew bucky and uncle ben weren't coming back like yeah all the other deaths, you could bring them back. Let them die, bring them back. Let them die, bring them back. But those two stayed dead until they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Wayne's parents are dead. <laughs> but they did bring I them back it, a little yeah. bit, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. In the main universe, they've always been dead. Yeah. Yeah. But they right? brought yeah. they brought Superman's dad back a couple times. Jarrell? No. Oh, pa- yeah. Pa- Jonathan Kent. Kent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't like him being dead. Superman needs his dad to talk to. Uh, well, that's a, that's another topic for another day. It is because for me, my introduction to Pa Kent was Superman the movie. So like, the first time I know who this guy is, he dies. You know, <laughs> and, and that's an inciting incident. And actually, I referenced this scene. Uh, pa Kent dying in Superman the movie. I referenced referenced it in my most recent script that I'm writing about Jesus leaving for his ministry, and because it's possible Joseph had died it, before right. Jesus left for his ministry, it's it's more than likely right. that Joseph had died because of the way things worked out with with uh, his mom and his brothers in in the other s- situations where he shows up, where they show up with Jesus, and then at the end, uh, and the, on the cross when Jesus is saying, "John, this is your mother," you know woman this is your son and basically says dude take care of my mom and yeah <laughs> it's more than likely because joseph had been dead for a while and also with joseph being dead when jesus leaves for his ministry that makes it even worse that he's leaving because as the oldest boy he would have been the one to take over and, and to take care of their mother and take care of the business and but of course he was taking care of his father's business not his earthly father's business. And right. anyway, the scene when Clark Kent leaves Ma Kent behind always, whenever I come across Jesus leaving, you know, to go on the ministry, when I write the scene, it's not a biblical scene, but it's something that happened. He had to leave, you know, to go and do all right. these things. Um, when I write the scene, I, I just think of, of Clark Kent walking across the, the wheat field with, with Ma yep. behind and the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful John Williams music playing. <laughs> now, I know you hate the Smallville parts 
of Superman the movie, Evan. So I, <laughs> I don't expect hate, you. Hate is a strong word. See, I grew up and I'm reading all these stories, and every third issue, Superman is back looking over those same wheat fields, but talking to his dad about life and asking for his advice, which I really relate to. Well, and Lois so. and Clark too. Wasn't his father alive in Lois and Clark the show? Yes. That was, was a, copying it, the comics of that time where he's still alive. Yeah, and that was a cool element where he would go home to mom and dad, and um, yeah, it was. Eat pie. Yeah, yep. That was a cool element. Actually, I remember more of that stuff than I do of supervillains and Lois in the in that show. I remember the stuff of him going home to his parents. So I don't let, that way. I tried revisiting <laughs> Lois and Clark. I had a very difficult time revisiting it because I was thinking, oh, maybe this is something we could go. I could go through it with my wife. You know, she used to like this show. <laughs> She liked the romance stuff and watched it with her mom and her sister, you know, Sunday nights. And I used to watch it because of Superman. No, it, it did not work <laughs> out that way. It did not work out that way. So let's put it this way. There's a villain in the fourth season called the Wedding Destroyer. That's the villain's <laughs> name. Wow. That's really specific. Is he comic yes. accurate? And now we... <laughs> what? Is he comic accurate? <laughs> That's a terrible, <laughs> terrible situation there. Oh, why would they do that? So <laughs> I don't know. Um, so anyway, what's our back on topic? <laughs> you guys have any other characters? Yeah, I can remember one of the first uh, resurrections in fiction where I was actually able to, as a young kid, put together that they were kind of maybe referencing Jesus. <laughs> And that's E.T. When, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, and he dies and then he rises from the dead and then he ascends into heaven. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it's the Jesus story with added bike chases. And yes, <laughs> but I but I actually was able to kind of put that together myself as a kid. Not the first time I saw it, not when it first was out in theaters. It was probably when either it was a second run thing or it was on TV. But I remember so you didn't you didn't learn it through uh, the Simpsons episode where the pastor is talking about. It. No, there's a Simpsons episode like that. <laughs> yeah, I like, need to find that. You know, Simpsons I remember episode. another another visitor from another place who came down to Earth. <laughs> And changed people's lives and then went back up. And his name was E.T. Okay. <laughs> and it was like a slap in the face, but you know. Well, but that's. They, they, they didn't do it irreverently. It was just, you know, kind of odd that it was a pastor actually saying it. Well, you know what it reminds me of is, is just weak, weak connections that Christian sci fi fans make. Yes. You yeah. Know, yeah. But. As a child, I'm watching this and and I am thinking, huh, wait a minute. What, what's this mean? Because this is really similar to this other thing that's real. And what's it trying to say? And what is it? And, and I remember just trying to piece together the, the ideas that were coming mm -hmm. out of this, this movie. And so, you know, when I first saw the movie. It just touched me because I wanted to be Elliot and I had had a pet that had you know recently been put to sleep and, and that kind of thing and um to me i'm just oh his friend and his friend is dead and now he's all alone and you know and i didn't have lots of friends and anyway 
<laughs> I wanted to be Elliot. I wanted to have a friend who can make my bike fly. And, <laughs> but then later on, it was one of those first things where it's realizing, huh, they do that. They're actually doing that in this story. That's not a Christian story. It's not a, you know, it's not a Narnia book. It's not a, um, you know, <laughs> Hanna-Barbera time traveling children <laughs> story. It's, it's, it's actually somebody. I love those. Yeah. So E.T. was one of the first for me where I realized there can, there can be some deeper ideas, even if they aren't necessarily uh, true <laughs> or um, even if they're not necessarily actually trying to say what, what the Christ, the real story about Christ is, is saying about sin and, and uh, sacrifice and that. But yeah. E.T. the extraterrestrial. Yeah. Wow. You got one, Steve? Well, I go back to when I started reading comic books, I had a friend who had a ton of comic books and I was late getting into, I didn't read them a lot when I was a kid. Um, but you know, I was in my, my teens, probably my middle teens. And I said, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to check these out and to see if it's, if it's, you know, something I really want to get into. And my friend was like, Oh, you have to read this series. And he handed me, the original copies, I think I actually read like Giant Size X-Men number one in the original copy because he had them. And it was before it was like right at the beginning of, you know, the direct market thing. And, and, and there was a lot of stores opening up. So it was right at the beginning of that. So people didn't really have the, the, the concept of bagging and boarding every single thing and, and, and all that stuff. So he just handed me like, you know, 100 issues or so of, of the X-Men. And I just ate them up, you know? It was just so fantastic. And, like, the, the very first thing, Thunderbird dies. And you're like, oh, well, no big deal. It was just, like, you know, one guy. And then, you know, like, things happen and things are happening, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, Jean Grey goes through her transformation and she's Phoenix. And you're like, what? I mean, this is the first time. I mean, I was, like, you know, I had some star wars comics and a couple of spider-man or something like that but this is the first time i was getting into like a narrative and a, a serial a, a drama and i was getting like you know a hundred of them at once so it's not like i had to wait a month so i'm reading through these these issues and you know it uh john Byrne starts to, to starts to draw the, the comic book and uh, as, as much as i like other artists john Byrne really his his the realism that he put into his his stuff as much as you can do realism with, with superheroes but the you know the the technical aspects of his his art really started to grab me and uh you know i'm a teenager and these characters are are beautiful i mean you know gene gray and and, and uh and aurora and you know these are they're drawing me in because they're drawn so well and even the 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 male characters they're they're drawn in such a way that you know you you sort of wanted to be strong like Wolverine you know and it, because you could see him he wasn't he wasn't the the cartoon character that he was when like Dave Cockrum and and other people like that would would draw him and not that that's a bad thing they have great styles too John Byrne just really pulled me in 
and you know, I started to really get into these real, you know, these characters as if they were real people almost. I wasn't deluded or anything like that. It just, you know, just like when you when you binge watch something, or whatever, you know, you really start to get into these characters' heads. And uh, and then issue one thirty seven. You know, it's Jean Grey is going through this thing and she does this awful thing, and you're like, oh wow, that's really bad. But you don't get the weight of it until issue 137 or where the Shi'ar come down and, and they say she's done this awful, terrible thing. She's killed millions of sentient beings. No, they're not human beings. They're not people like, you know, that are people. But this is a universal, uh, you know, um, community that they have now and and the shiar say these were people just like other people and there were millions of them and all of a sudden you realize she's a mass murderer you know and she did it because she was hungry and you're just sort of like wait a minute what <laughs> and you're realizing this character has to pay for her crimes and she goes through this thing where you can tell that she's repentant and, and that she, she wants to, to, to atone for it. But you're like, you're, you're, you're feeling it with her. You know, you're like, wow, this is really tough. And then she says, I'll, you know, I'll limit myself and just be Marvel girl. And, and they're like, no, that's not good enough. And then they get into this huge moon wide battle and it ends up with her you know, the, the Phoenix force leaking back out a little bit. And she says, this can't happen. And she realizes it can't happen. So she turns a weapon on herself and sacrifices herself. You know, a lot of people could say, well, suicide and et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is at that point, she realized that there was a dual aspect of her character. And there was that, that part that believed she was Jean gray and that part that believed she was Phoenix and the part that believed she was Jean Grey did the only thing that she could do and destroy the part that was Phoenix. And it just happens to be in the same body. So, you know, she dies. And after that, I remember I'm like issue 138. It's like, you know, Cyclops leaves the team and Kitty Pride joins the team and issue 139. And you're just like, yeah, almost like you're just flipping them. You know, you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? And you want to keep reading because you want to see the impact and stuff like that. But as a kid, it was like I was feeling this character's death, and it was weird for me. And you know, then it goes through the uh, the um, what do you call it? The echoes from the future, the uh, future past thing. Well, days of future um, past. Days of future past. And you know, then it starts to ramp up, and then you get you know uh, uh, other things happening, and, and it became. A different team, John Byrne left, and it, it became its its own other thing. And I, I would say up until about issue 200, it really had a wild narrative uh, uh, to the whole thing that was amazing. Um, and we can talk about what happened after 200 at a different time if you want. But, you know, I, I followed it up until that time, and, and it still was that impact of her death, her dying. And until you have this comic book that came out called 
Phoenix, the untold story. And it was John Byrne and Chris Claremont, and they redid issue 137 as if it was their original intent to have her saved, have her, her life saved, and her powers were taken away. And it was like this alternate story, and it was interesting, a sort of a what-if type of a thing. And then at the end, there was a, a, a dialogue, or more than a dialogue, there was four or five people, and uh, they were talking back and forth, and, and you can sort of see the personalities of these people and how they cared about the characters, and you know, sort of like uh, they accidentally had her destroy this entire planet, and they didn't realize that a repercussion had to come, and then the... the uh, the editor, Jim Shooter at the time, um, said, no, she committed mass murder. She has to die. Something has to happen. And then you understand the weight of, of all this stuff happening. You know, oh, I get it now. You know, it was a mistake. Yes, in, in, in the comic book, it was not what Jean Grey would have done, but Phoenix did it. And, you know, she was under mind control and all this stuff. So all the mitigating circumstances. But you finally understood why she died. And then in this little throwaway thing near the end of the interview, the the dialogue there, John Byrne says, you know, yeah, but, you know, she might not be. We might see her again or something like that. And uh, and everyone else is like, no, I don't think so. And John Byrne is like, I have an idea. (laughs) And, and we do see her much, again because yes, she comes back. And then she does come back. And I mean, it, the uh, John Byrne is, is involved in, in getting her back. Um, and she comes back. She joins the original team and all that stuff. And you understand that this Phoenix thing is much bigger than you thought it was. And then you get the classic X-Men comic books that are redoing the X-Men, giving you extra story. And Chris Claremont is able to have you understand what actually went on when Jean Grey became Phoenix or that's what it appeared to happen. And all of a sudden you understand, wait a minute, the Phoenix force preserved Jean Grey and took on Jean Grey's form so much that it believed it was Jean Grey. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, retcon. Let's, it was a let's, retcon. It was, let's it was, let's retcon what, the story to make it less impactful. <laughs> but when she, you know, basically came back from the dead, that was like the first time I was like, "Wow, that is amazing!" How many strings they had to pull to get this character back from the dead, and it was at the you know at, at the tail end of that huge amazing X-Men run. And it sort of was like my beginning because I, you know, binge read the, those hundred comics or however many they were. And then at the end, I'm getting this amazing thing where she's back. And it was, it was like the first time I said to myself, characters can come back from the dead. You know, before it was like, you know, characters I didn't care about. But now it was it was Phoenix. It was Jean Grey, you know, and and, yeah. and that's when it, it it sort of put it over the top for me. Well, and before I think it was a lot more short term. Like if a character died before yeah. that, it, they'd be dead at the end of one issue, and then right. the next issue would resolve the cliffhanger. 
oh, right. they weren't actually dead, or oh, uh, someone rescued them from death because they went into right. you know Hades or whatever and brought them back. But uh, I mean, I think Jean Grey was one of the first long-term impactful deaths, where it's like this impacts everybody around her, uh, and not just her death, but the reasons for it, and and especially like you said, Scott. And then you have her coming back, and it changes a whole bunch of stuff for the Marvel Universe as well. And for me, though, um, that that whole thing was would have been more impactful if I had been able to experience it like you did. Mm-hmm. And also, all the deaths after it became less impactful <laughs> because yeah, you you just knew. You just knew your that character might die, but it it won't be long before they're back. And then right. Superman, you know, kind of was the nail in the coffin for <laughs> for characters that are going to come back. It's it's a really loose nail that can easily be pushed to open right. the coffin because anyone can come back now. Everyone can come back, and why shouldn't they come back? Because it's you know we love that character, and so they did this right. great thing to die. You know. Although Phoenix's death is interesting because she is kind of dying for her sins. Like she's getting rid of that sinful side of her. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you, you say it's not suicide and it, and it isn't, it's her putting a stop to this thing. And that just means that by putting a stop to it, she's putting a stop to herself as well. But right. it's, you know, her just making that ultimate step where if I don't do something, millions more are going to die. Right. And it's it's yeah. an interesting interesting thing going on there. So Yeah. How about Spock, everyone? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that was that was, that was one of the first uh emotional deaths for me other than ET. ET was very emotional for me, but yeah. Spock was emotional for me and I became a Trekkie after I knew he wasn't dead anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> I knew he wasn't dead, but still when I would watch Star Trek two, I knew there was Star Trek three, but it didn't matter. It was still really sad for me. And I did not have any of those emotions. <laughs> he, he died to save the ship. You yep. know, he, yep. Cause the needs of the one or the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one, but yeah. sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. So that's that's the other lesson we learned sometimes. Well, I've got uh, an interesting one. How about this? Prince Einan from Dragonheart. Oh, yeah. Prince Einan from Dragonheart. (laughs) Yep. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make fun. (laughs) I've never seen Dragonheart. Oh, Oh, I've seen it. Steve. Steve, you got to watch Dragonheart. Put it on the list. Well, it's interesting, okay? Because so this this uh, evil, this kid is, uh, he's going to become prince. His dad dies, and he doesn't really care because now he can become the king. But he's mortally wounded. And so there's no way to save him except for one. And what they do is they take him to the lair of a dragon. And apparently a dragon can share his heart with you. Um... And as long as the dragon lives, then you'll live. But your 
your fates are bound together. So he takes they take the kid to the dragon, and it's a really interesting scene. And uh, a lot of the stuff the dragon says is really cool. And um, you know, it's not necessarily so he the kid dies. He dies on the table in front of the dragon. Thanks but for the spoiler, the dra- there, dude. You, you. It's at the very beginning of the movie, no problem. And uh, <laughs> so the dragon, it's a then twenty-year-old movie, statute of limitations yeah. is up on that one, man. Yep, yep. So the kid dies. Well, the dra- the dragon offers gives him his heart anyway, um, even though he knew knew the kid's rotten. And brings the kid back to life, and so I thought that was a you know that's a. It's not a perfect metaphor, but I thought it was an interesting picture that, you know, we're dead until we become one with Sean Connery. No, <laughs> that's not biblical, Ben. I'm sorry. But one with Christ, you know, and then we and we receive true life. So I thought that was interesting. Yes, because we realize that the dragon is not the monster. It's the prince. It's the kid, the the kid is the yeah. monster. Monster was us all along. <laughs> so, um, so which brings us his people. <laughs> I mean, there's there's lots of resurrections and and sacrifice. I mean, you got Iron Giant, which I just recently rewatched oh. with my kids. I mean, that's a big old. Yeah. Hey, I'm gonna yeah. die for other people, and but then I'm gonna come back to life. <laughs> yep. Oh, I love the movie. <laughs> I love that movie. How about, uh, well, that's not, <laughs> I was going to say this isn't really a sacrifice, but uh, I've got Snow White on my list. She dies and comes back to life. What about what about uh, uh, Zordon from the new Power Rangers movie? <laughs> yeah, what about Zordon? Hey, you know, that actually is a surprisingly well-done sacrifice. I kind of saw it coming a little bit, but at the same time, it actually was a character driven moment and a character arc moment. And I'm thinking to myself, huh, they, they did this in this movie. Yeah. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Seinstein. Um, what about, uh, uh, so this was a neat one. I thought was uh, Meg from Hercules, the Disney version. Where she dies, and then Hercules has to go down, like you were saying, go down to Hades to go get her. And he he actually has to talk to Hades, and Hades is like, "You can, you can get her out of there. I'll give you permission, but you got to jump in to you know into the river of death to go get her." And so he does, knowing full well he he could probably die doing that. And then he he's able to save her. And so they both kind of come back to life says so i thought it was interesting yeah they're just stealing they're stealing from uh the whole uh oh who is it steve it's um oh come I on just man research this i just researched this he goes too down because, uh, he can't look behind yeah and he and it's it's not oedipus is it's, it? It's, it's it starts with the o doesn't it it's oh it's not audacious it's, no. uh, uh um Oh, come on, man. Um, I got, and I just, uh, I, I just researched this because uh, I was watching, um, uh, dark shadows. <laughs> I can't believe this. And they did a story arc that was, that had that in it. Um, oh man, it was, Oh, Oh, Oh dear. 
Beatrice was the woman, right? No, Beatrice is uh, Dante. Dante. Dante's Dante. Inferno. Uh, Orpheus. 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 Yeah, in the underworld. Duh. <sighs> anyway. Nice. That's <laughs> all that to say. They kind of stole that element of going down. I mean, they didn't steal everything, but you know, I Hercules. oh, they, that movie stole a lot. Yeah, you hate Hercules. I do not like that movie. Do not like that yeah. movie. That Disney Hercules. I, love I'm not a big fan love of Hercules as a character, and there's so many different variations of the character that I really really like. But that one is not one. I just. I don't now, what what do you guys think about things like? I'm gonna have two different things, but they're they're similar. Um, things like the Doctor Strange movie at the end, where you know Dormammu keeps killing him and killing him and killing him, or the type of thing where it's like all the heroes against Thanos, and all of them get killed except for one and because that one survived they make a deal with someone else that re- revives all the other characters what do you think of things like that the doctor strange one is something i love i love the way that that uh played out it's just a really cool uh, again image of sacrifice where but you don't you don't see those types of things as sort of like minimalizing it no, sort of like, not the know, Doctor Strange thing. I, I, I didn't because, I mean, that was, at least in the context of the story, that was a really powerful sacrificial moment for that character. And it was a moment mm-hmm. of character growth for him. But it wasn't mm-hmm. just sacrifice. It wasn't just like, I'm going to die and be dead, but everyone else is okay. It's, I am going to suffer pain and agony over and over and over again. And when it's done, great. But who knows how long it went. Although I was talking with my son. No, it wasn't my son. Maybe it was you, Evan, where the question came up. The question came up. How many times do you think he actually did it? How many Mm. times do you think he actually died? And then we got to think, well, maybe Dormammu was just going to say, you know, he's done this six times now. And (laughs) I can't get out of this. I'm pretty omnipotent and powerful, but at the same time, I'm not completely 100%. So I'm kind of trapped here, but I'm smart enough to realize, you know, this is, this could go on forever (laughs) and I don't have forever. I don't want to mess with forever. So I'm just going to go ahead and and just deal with him right now. And we'll just skip all the other, you know, thousands of times we could have gone through this. Um, Or it could have just been, he went through it thousands and thousands of times. We don't know. Because it's a montage, you know, and the idea of the passage of time, we are not, we we just can't know how long it went, but that's commitment. I mean, once Dr. Strange stepped into the the moment and said, I'm going to do this, he's stuck, you know, and and if Dormammu says no, he's stuck forever doing that. Uh, I don't think that was a minimization of the idea at all. Now, everyone dies and then just gets brought back that's a issue of practicality that does minimize i think where mm. you know in the real world if that would have happened they aren't coming back you know we have situations like that you know we hear situations in war stories or um situations of firefighters and that kind of thing where they they go into the danger zone and help people but it means you know they die 
and they don't come back. But then you can have all the Avengers, like all the Avengers from all of time fall at the feet of, of Thanos and they all get brought back. Well, yeah. there, there's no, there's no power. There's no value in, yeah. in the story. It, it is, it is a cheat, but then again, next month you can get another story from them where you wouldn't have if they'd all stayed dead. Right. But don't you at some point lose, I mean, it just sort of like, all right, you know, now death is, is just a meme or, you know, a trope. It's like, how many, how many times has this character died? How many times has that character died? Yeah. And it just seems like, <laughs> yeah, you're right. It totally, yeah. you, you want to talk about total abuse of this concept is in Dragon Ball Z. I don't know if you guys know anything about it, but it's that's notorious for death meaning nothing. I mean, you're talking about death meaning nothing in Marvel Comics. This takes it to a whole nother level because you have the seven <laughs> Dragon Balls where if someone dies, you just gather the seven Dragon Balls and wish them back to life. And Goku, the main hero, he dies at least three or four times and at one point he dies and they've gathered the dragon balls and they're going to bring him back. And he not only, not only this, but they're able to communicate with him because in that show, uh, death or the, the afterlife is basically just another dimension. So he's able to communicate back and forth from the other dimension. And he's basically just saying, Hey guys, I think I'm just going to stay dead this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, use your wish for something else. Because he's like, yeah, I keep like every time I come back to life, I keep drawing bigger and badder bad guys to the earth to destroy it. So I'm just going to stay dead. And, uh, you know, we'll talk. And I'll see you guys when you get up here. And then eventually they wish him back to life anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, that's, that's an abuse. <laughs> that's an abuse. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I mean, video games. Yeah. It's like, you know, oh, oh, yep. I died. I got killed. You know, I have two more lives. And you're just sort of, it, it sort of minimizes it. I, I, I almost wish my kids would say, you know, oh, my power went down to zero, but now I have another power pack or something instead of, you know, dying. It's like I'm, I drive a school bus and kids are, are, you know, behind me talking about video games, but I have to keep an ear out for it because if they're saying, you know, oh, I killed this guy or, you know, I shot this guy or whatever. I, I mean, it's a school thing. People, kids bring guns into school. Kids do things that are horrible and terrible. And then some kids just go home and play a video game. And the video games minimize it to a point where it's sort of like, now I have to be on my guard for just kids talking about video game stuff. You know, and it's at some point, it's, I don't like that minimalization of it. I remember my parents having an issue with that where uh, we would always talk about, you know, oh, Pac-Man. I just, oh, I just died. Yeah. And it was always yeah. how many lives do you have left, you know, that kind of yeah, thing. Right. And yeah. if you think about it, though, like it can be really morbid, you know, like, yeah. uh, um, OK, well, oh, Mario just died trying to save the princess. That was a heroic death and game over. You know, <laughs> it's just done and you can't ever play again because... Yeah. Well, That'd be an people, awesome game. What I don't like is, is some, sometimes the kids will be in a place where their character can't do anything. And one will say, oh, just kill yourself. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, that's horrible. <laughs> you know, why would you say that? How could those words come out of your mouth 
through your brain and not have a visceral reaction to it. Not say to yourself, wow, this is a horrible, terrible thing that has to happen right here. Yeah, well, I mean, we're talking about two different levels of minimalization because there is the real world level of it where we're saying uh, just seeing these things and experiencing these fake things minimalizes it. And I think it does to an extent. And then there's also the fact that we get we get hardened to it in our stories. Like like we've said, you know, after the death of Superman and and his return, guess what? Mm -hmm. We we just knew anyone who dies is now not going to stay dead. They brought back Bucky right. after that. I mean, come on, that yeah. was one constant that he was going to he was he stayed dead. And then it turns out, nope, yeah. he wasn't even dead at all. You know, and yeah. uh, and so it minimalizes the impact of the stories unless you're reading something that is not about a uh, intellectual property that is going to be on underoos. Let's say uh, if if the character is not an action figure or a poster or, you know, something, you know, a video game star or something like that or a movie, uh, the character might not come back because they're just nothing. And so there's some small impact in that, but there is absolutely no impact in the death of any major character ever again. Yeah. Um, now they did do a good job of keeping Human Torch dead for a long, long time, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, twelve did they, issues. Didn't they? Well, was it that long? It was. It was or that short, I should say. Yeah, it was that short. Yeah, yeah. Oh, was, I thought he stayed dead sad. longer than that. Oh. Because I, I, I got the issues, and it was like you know the the death, you know, someone will die, or the death or whatever, and I was just reading it and going like, no, he's not. Well, I figured no. he would come back, but I didn't realize it was that short. I thought they had kept him dead for a longer time than that. No, that's a whole a that's a whole year. That's not very long. Year. I yeah. know, but <laughs> Okay. Well <laughs> But at the same time, I mean I, I bought the, the, the issues so my son could read them. He's you know fifteen now, but it was a couple years ago. And I was like hoping that he would stay dead. You know, and not because I don't like the Human Torch. I think his character is, is pretty cool, but because if they're gonna kill someone and they're gonna hype it, and they're gonna have this big thing around it, just keep them dead. <laughs> you know, you can do that. It's okay. You know, put them in the the Hall of you know the the Hall of Fame for characters and say, you know what. He's not making any more albums. He's not making Man. any more books or whatever, you know, what, whatever the, the, the thing is, just have it done. And the character and, you know, everyone else can just say, you know, let's do this. You know, I can't do it. I don't, hey, remember what the human torch did when he was faced against the thing and he knew he was going to die. We're going to do this now, you know, and, and just have that type of a thing. You have nothing like that. No character. Where you can say, remember the sacrifice he gave, except for that Uncle, guy who apparently Uncle has ben. no name. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Ben, ben or, or I can do it, man, or something. Uh, <laughs> 14 issues. You're right. Good grief. I thought that's how that's how out of it I am with mainstream Marvel right now, though, is I didn't yeah. know he, he came back. Now, I will I say mean, television does this better. I mean, on television, when a character dies, they generally speaking stay dead. 
yes. You know, like I remember uh, Lost. Unless you're watching the CW. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but I remember Lost had some pretty impactful deaths, and I was hoping they'd come back because I'm like, I want to see, I want to see Charlie again. You know, I want to hear him <laughs> sing. You all, everybody. You know, I. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, that was a sad death. That was a really sad death. Um, yeah, and he and didn't didn't come back. But then you have, I mean, there's lots of ways you can cheat death, and you have cloning, but you also have new characters. And man, I'm not gonna get into spoilers, but Agents of Shield, there's yeah. been some people dying on that show that show up again, and they show yep. up in a different way, yeah. and. There is at least one actor on that show who it's really, really neat because he gets to play his same character, but like as three different people. <laughs> and it's, right. it's really kind of fun to watch him do it. But Coulson, I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exists because Coulson died a somewhat meaningless death. I thought he went to Tahiti. Exactly. And then they bring him back for the show. And the, the mystery of the first season is how how is he back? And he doesn't even know. And his death wasn't meaningless. Somewhat meaningless when it happened that they gave meaning by lies from Nick Fury. Yeah. Nick Fury lied to make Coulson's death more impactful to Tony Stark. So Nick Fury was adding meaning (laughs) to the death to get people's rears in gear so they would actually go and save the world. You know, I always wanted to see Coulson and Fury to come together and Coulson take Fury to task for ruining his Captain America card collection. Well, he he does take Nick Fury to task, but not for that. Well, I know, but I mean, the, the card collection. <laughs> I think there were other bigger issues uh, to deal with first. Uh, On his mind. Yeah, yeah. I guess. The, the yeah. card collection maybe was off off camera. Yeah, I I think that's probably more of a passive aggressive thing where uh, (laughs) Nick Fury visits him on on the bus, their old ship, you know, their old plane. And it's like, nice office you got here. I see you got your collection. And and Coulson's just like, well, not all of it. And Nick Fury is just, oh, and then they play the sad trombone. (laughs) 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 Yep. Yep. And just think. They could have had me writing for that show because that scene would have been brilliant. <laughs> Just brilliant. Their loss. Their loss. <laughs> All right. <laughs> let's let's see. I think we've gone on pretty decently about this. But uh, is there any, uh, I don't know, other meaning you want to pull out of this stuff? Anything? I mean... You can, <laughs> there's tons of characters that have come back to life in but in a way that doesn't really reflect the biblical story of of Christ's death and resurrection and i think it's special when the stories can maybe point back to that or take inspiration from that it's also neat because we will all rise from the dead someday if we're you know believing mm-hmm. christ yeah um I mean, well, everybody's going to rise again, but some to eternal life and some not. Right. Um, so 
it's neat to see these stories where you can say, you know, hey, that'll not happen to me. So here's here's <laughs> this is probably off topic, but talking about like the end times and stuff, where you know you wonder. The Bible says we're going to get new bodies, but we're going to rise again first, right, or right. something. Don't, I'm, I'm fuzzy on the order of things happening. The dead in Christ rise first, right? So, so I'm wondering, you know, what about what if you were an organ donor and you're a Christian? Oh come on! <laughs> no, I, and does your does your spleen oh. fly out of somebody else? <laughs> like. No. Reassemble, or if you were cremated, you were cremated, this is why people don't do gonna... cremation. They there are <laughs> there are people who will not allow cremation because of yeah. the resurrection of the body, and they don't want to destroy the body. See, but, but to the, me the that doesn't is... make any sense because if God, God is God, He can reassemble your body. Uh huh. If so you're cremated, why are you even asking awesome. the question if you already have that answer? Because <laughs> you're no. saying, yeah. God is God. He can do it, right? <laughs> right. But, but is he just going to create a new body for you to rise again in so then you can get your newer body? Or are you just going to get your new body? Or if you're cremated, are you going to be a real? Is it going to be a really cool movie scene where all the dust starts swirling up and reforms you really cool looking? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Anyway, this has nothing to do with anything. Yeah, I think it's going to be different from all of that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. In the Valley of the Dry Bones, there was a lot of that dust reassembling stuff happening in that Well, in your imagination, yeah. 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 Uh, How did it actually happen? Well, maybe a little different than what your imagination is saying. Could be. (laughs) Oh, man. So I, think I one of the oh one, go ahead <laughs> sorry Steve one of the things I think that we can take out of this is that you know perhaps because of the culture that we live in I mean it, it's not a, a Christian nation but it's a nation that's built on Christian ideals and understandings of things and I think we have that sense that there is something after death so you know even uh, atheists or whatever. You know, you could biblically talk about, you know, they're suppressing the truth and and unrighteousness. But at least for the most part, because we live in this culture, you have that sense that there's something after death. So when you have creators and they're faced with the death of a character and it's in a fantasy setting or a superhero setting or whatever, they feel as though they can use that, that trope, because they've seen it. You know, there's Lazarus. Oh, let's have the Lazarus pit, you know, or, you know, Mm. there's obviously the the Jesus thing and all these different things where people have risen from the dead and people say that's literature as much as it's truth, it's literature and we can use that, those, those things that that literature has given us in our literature. And there you go. I mean, it's, it's almost like a, uh, a witness to the subtle Christian culture that has 
grown up in the United States and is sadly, you know, <laughs> on its way out. I think we're more well, of a post-Christian culture. And Steve, I would even say it's not just our culture. It, everybody in the world, except for maybe atheists, are expecting that there's life after death. Right, yeah. yeah. But every, I, think, it, I think a lot of those religions um, have taken their ideas, you know, some of them, especially like the life after death stuff, uh, and hell and things like that, afterlife, after, after world places, afterlife places from the Christian concept. Yeah, or so, just from the latent truth passed down from generations or the latent truth that lies in all of us from the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings me to C.S. Lewis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. C.S. Lewis. And how the Norse mythology uh, that he was studying as an atheist was used by, by J.R.R. Tolkien to point him to Christ. And he's saying, you know, you have these th emotions that get pulled up when you're reading these stories about these heroic sacrifices and, you know, Odin on the cross or whatever, or Odin on the dying on the tree. Um, but what if that's because it's actually coming through a filter of the pagan, but it's a, it's truth coming through the pagan filter and you are, res it's resounding with you because there is this echo of truth there. And, um, I think that's part of why these stories are meant to be impactful. They, they lose impact, like I said, with, with the liturgy. Um, you know, here, our liturgy of, of fiction, uh, we have it happen so much where characters die and come back. But uh, I think that there is an element um, where we're saying, oh, you know, like you guys said, I mean, there's, we believe in this, there's more. There's more to life than life. Mm. And you know, the atheist would say, well, you just have to believe that because you you can't face the meaninglessness of it. You know, you can't stare into the abyss, uh, you know, because it's just this yawning nothingness and that's too much to handle. So humanity must find something else to latch on to. Um, but, you know, the, the Christian, we say it's because there's truth there. And, you know, Christ's resurrection is something that gives hope and points to the future for us. Uh, it's not just, you know, oh, hey, it's cool, you know, but it is it is a, a a picture for us to see, you know, what actually is going to happen. And he comes back. Uh, you're, you're, we were laughing about your, your spleen thing or whatever, Evan, but Christ in his new body his resurrected body had the scars, uh, you know, still there and, and he ate, you know? And so there's, there's some interesting things to say, you know, we are not just facing a spiritual resurrection. It's a, it is a bodily resurrection mm -hmm. that we will experience. And, and, uh, I think we will eat in, in yep. heaven. You know, I, 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 I believe that. And anyway, it just uh, everything points back to Lewis to C.S. Lewis for me right now. So I shouldn't say right now. It has for a very long time in my life <laughs> <laughs> pointed back to him. But um, just this idea of how pagan myths were used by J.R.R. Tolkien and other friends uh, to say, hey, you know, why do these things affect you the way they do? Well, 
The reason is because something is resounding with you, whether it's truth that's coming through this filter of the, the pagan mind or whether it's, um, you know, a broken clock being right twice a day, you know, where <laughs> these, these pagan myths are um, not necessarily pointing to truth, but they're stirring up truth within you. And you see, you know, just it's written on our hearts. You know, Romans says that um, that we we know these things because it's it's written on our hearts, and and there's no excuse. You know, nature expresses these things, and there's mm. no excuse for anyone. And and so maybe those pagan myths are just stirring up those things inside that are just you know built into the human psyche. But anyway, back to back to C.S. Lewis. It always goes back to him. Uh, so was that the note you wanted to end on then yeah yep i was i was certain someone was going to go to myths and we kind of went there with hercules but it was hercules disney that that's not gonna (laughs) we almost missed it all right well that's being said i think we are done final words what are your final words gentlemen any final words well, my some... final. Bueller. Go ahead, go Steve. Ahead. No, go ahead. You first. Well, you know, like we we're talking about, this is this is awesome stuff because it points us back to Christ and His resurrection, which we're going to be celebrating. Uh, we should celebrate it every day, but we're going to take some special time to celebrate it at Easter. And Christ's resurrection means that, you know, that's hope for us that we will rise someday. Because you know, Paul says. You know, if Christ did not rise, then your faith is worthless. Yep. So, so we've got a worthwhile faith because we will rise again, even if you are destroyed utterly by an oxygen destroyer. Mm. Uh, and then chances are, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and then you come back to life. That's right. In 1984 or 85. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then are thrown into a volcano. If you believe in Christ, you will rise again. Yeah. So, okay. I'm mixing my metaphors. Wow. Here. Are you ever? So, yeah. Point is, <laughs> believe in Christ, you will rise again. There you so go. You can have a final word and a final point. I didn't know that. <laughs> there it is. I got a Yeah. I got a final point. Yeah. 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 My final point is this, as you are going into Easter or going into, if you're listening to this outside of the Easter season, um, you're going to be hearing a lot of things you've heard before. You're going to be hearing a lot of things you've heard before. You're going to be listening to sermons about the resurrection. You know, you're going to be listening to people talking about stuff like we're talking about right now. And my encouragement to you and my challenge to you, I'm going to challenge you listeners right now, as you... Now, this is generally for the churchgoer, but not not just for the churchgoer. If you don't go to church, then you still could follow this challenge. But as you're going into this season, and as you go into these liturgical seasons, uh, for those of you who do, you know, who are Lutherans or, or Catholic or whatever, and who do more of the liturgy, um, the regular liturgy, uh, find something new to latch on to. Listen carefully and and listen for things that strike you in a new way or listen for all the things where you can find some new nugget. Uh, just look for those things. Don't just sit back and say, I've heard it all before. I know it all. I don't have to worry about it. What I try and do anytime I teach about something that I've taught about many, many times is to find something 
within that is something new and that is not just, oh, I've heard this story a billion times. I know exactly what this means. So that's my encouragement to you. That's my challenge to you is don't just let this stuff wash over you to where I've heard it all before because it's quite possible. Yeah, you've heard it all before, but look for the new things and, and listen, listen to the, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit and, and, you know, just, just allow him, allow God to speak to you in new and fresh way, even if you might be going through an old and unfresh service. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my encouragement. That's my final word. And yeah. I have a final word. Well, let's hear it. This is from Martin Luther. He says, our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. Beautiful. Mm. I think he did it in German, but you get the point. I get the point. Yeah. All right. Well, all that said, thank you for listening, everyone. And as usual, Godspeed. You've been listening to the Strangers and Aliens podcast, hosted by Ben Avery, Steve MacDonald, and Dr. Jace O'Neill. Our music was composed and mixed by Tim Leffel. Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers, or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening. That is so wasteful.